Hello, this is Brian McCormick welcoming you to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the resource for leaders, leadernetwork.org. Our National Leader of the Month is Luann Mitchell-Halter. Luann is a noted author, entrepreneur, motivational speaker, and philanthropist. She has dual citizenship in the United States and Canada. Through facing more than her share of adversity in her life, Luann has developed the sagely wisdom that comes from such experiences. She has used that wisdom to help her achieve amazing personal and professional success in her life. She has also turned her own experiences into meaningful lessons that we all would do well to learn from. What a positive and remarkable leader Luann is. Luann Mitchell-Halter and I spoke about her life, her leadership, and the wisdom she has gleaned from her experiences. Excerpts of our conversation are in two podcast episodes. In episode one, Luann discusses the book she recommends for aspiring leaders, the place in the world she most likes to visit, her advice for aspiring leaders, and her anecdote for practicing effective leadership. In episode two, Luann discusses the traits most important in a leader, describes what organizations can do to encourage or stifle leaders, talks about what lessons she has discerned from the challenges she faced in her life, recounts the important advice she received from her mother, and discusses a poem she highly recommends and how its message applies to our lives. And now, here is Episode 1 with National Leader of the Month, Luann Mitchell-Halter. First, I'd like you to, if you would, talk a little bit about the books you recommend for aspiring leaders. Um, you had listed a few books, and I was wondering if maybe you could share a few thoughts on each of them. First, you had mentioned Think and Grow Rich. Can you talk about why you recommend that book? Well, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, Dr. Napoleon Hill, has been um, something I was actually brought up on. I've been very, very blessed in that my parents were um, strong advocates of motivational reading and reading in general. My father was a school teacher, a uh, high school teacher, and so they, we had a, a massive library. He also, uh, he would go door to door and sell Encyclopedia Britannica, and there was something in those days called Childcraft that he also brought home and uh, made certain I started to read. So, and uh, in addition to the Holy Bible, which uh, I'm, I'm greatly appreciative because we had a, a spiritual base. So we had a library that contained a lot, and uh, Dr. Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich was a main part of that. And because he didn't just talk specifically around greenbacks, he spoke to the value and the contribution that each of us make as individuals and with our spins around the sun and our own ability to do good works in this life. And so it was really instilled in me that to search out those types of literature, literary works, and, and to follow those programs and those leadership qualities. And in fact, uh, there are a lot of biographies referred to 
uh, in Think and Grow Rich, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, gentlemen like Abraham Lincoln and, and many more who grew to be stellar, uh, really, I'm going to call them pillars, uh, as examples in, in my life who were introduced to me and, uh, and were introduced to me in a way that said, just a moment now, uh, you know, you, you're really going to be accountable, and, and one day you're going to uh, reap what you sow. And so I wanted to learn from that, and I, I really enjoyed the readings. That was sort of, you know, where some kids were maybe getting the, uh, the, the, the little bedtime stories, maybe uh, Cinderella, <laughs> looking for a Prince Charming, uh, my father, was reading to me from Think and Grow Rich. And um, those were the sort of uh, uh, princes I was introduced to as a, as a little girl, and I, uh, I'm eternally grateful. It's, it's become a... Really, I have it in my hands right now as I'm speaking to you. I, I have the hardback copy, which was uh, gifted to me uh, by a fine gentleman by the name of Don Green, who's a director at the Napoleon Hill Foundation, and... Uh, I am eternally grateful because it uh, it really is not only physically beautiful, uh, but the the contents are beautiful as well, and they've they've served to really help mold me into a better person. Oh, terrific! The next one you had mentioned was "Life is Tremendous." Could you talk a little bit about why that one? The title really is self-explanatory, and how many times have I said, "Oh my gosh, this isn't so great." This really sucks, and how come, and woe is me, and then a pity party would ensue, and I would say, hey, I, what, what did I do to deserve this? Or sometimes I'd look at someone else I loved or, or I felt was doing good work, and I would say, what in the heck? Why, why, what did they do to deserve that? You know, there's a lot of schmucks out there doing nasty things, and they're just getting away with them. And, and some of these great people, well, Charlie Tremendous Jones, uh, he's really taken it to a whole new level, and, and his book has helped me more than once. And he says, life is tremendous. And, you know, Oswald Chambers, which I got turned on to as well by Charlie Tremendous Jones, you know, he says very often, none of this is intended for you at all. And so it's given me a whole new perspective. Charlie says, as you know, because uh, you, you have him featured as well on your fabulous leader network, but Charlie says, you know, we are the same people five years from now as we are right now, except for the books we read and the people that we meet. And I've met a lot of people through Charlie's books, uh, through introductions uh, from Charlie Tremendous Jones, but also through my own imagination and the ability that we have to learn from all of these leaders through their literature, through their great works, and through really the direction that they give us, because they are living, shining stars. And so when I read Life is Tremendous, I know that that is authored by a gentleman who lives and practices what he preaches, and I have seen it over and over. And so he's the kind of person I want to be. I admire the author in every word. He, he has the gift of making it pleasurable but also palatable because sometimes you know i i gotta tell you brian i haven't been the brightest star in the sky every turn i've made i sometimes look back and say what in the heck was that me uh, and and charlie goes listen here none of this was intended for you at all and um look at what i've done and and he's just such a real real person and uh Gosh, it makes me feel sometimes like I can get up and go on, and uh, and I can learn maybe from a mistake or two as well. He uh, he steps up to the plate and uh, he hits a home run for me every round. I love that book. 
Great. What about love is letting go of fear? Well, I got to tell you, the the letting go of fear has been a huge thing for me. I oh boy, it's been an anchor uh, on my on my leg. Um, you know, I was widowed quite young. Um, I was afraid to to ever date. Naturally, uh, I remember my mother said, "Luann, you're a young widow with three children, and you have to, you know, think about going on with your life." And I remember saying to her, "Well." Mother, you were a widow yourself. What are you telling me? <laughs> you know, here's the part of what you preach. And she would say, yeah, well, I'm older now and et cetera, et cetera. And I used to think, just a minute here. I'm I'm filled with fear. And she had her own fears. And one day we sat down and we said, what are you afraid of? And and she said, you know, Luana, I'm not afraid to, to go home or make my transition in this life. But, but I'm kind of afraid sometimes that I... I wasn't a good mom or, you know, I'm looking back more than I used to. And I, or maybe I, I could have been a better wife or maybe I could have had that career I always wanted, but I chose to be a homemaker, all of these things. And they're not regrets, they're fears. And I said, well, what in the world would make you fear? And she said, well, now, you know, and at that point she was 70 years old. She said, I'm 70 and, and I look at my daughter and I, I see the situation you're in and, and I'm afraid that I, I didn't instill in you um, to be, be just moving ahead and not, not being so scared. So we both read that book together. So that's kind of a landmark book for me because it's the one I read with my mother when she she spoke to me as a 70-year-old woman. And uh, I was a young widow that had just uh, uh, lost her husband to uh, uh, a chronic illness. and I um, And my mother was a caregiver to my father who had uh, Alzheimer's disease, so and, and my father had just passed away. So it was something that my mother and I went through together, uh, becoming widows. Um, it's something a mother doesn't dream of doing with her daughter. I think they think about a trip to Hawaii or a <laughs> maybe <laughs> Christmas with the, with the kids, but we don't always dream that we might both become widows at the same time, and that was my circumstance. And so I'm eternally grateful for that because I envision her and I sitting together and, and reading to each other and it was a very powerful breakthrough for us as as two women, and but also I got to know her on another level, and and she got to know me, and so I think that's lovely when we can read to each other and and grow, and that book's mark for me for that. Sure, and yeah. then the final one is feel the fear and do it anyway. Yes, and that's what led me from that experience to that one because Dr. Susan Jeffers she wrote that book, and you know she suffered from breast cancer, and um, she doesn't term it the way I did. She says that she, uh, and she has a, a very funny way of putting it, but she says that she's sort of like, um, um, you know, a, a pirate's dream, sunken chest and all. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, for goodness sakes, if a woman like that can 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 make someone smile and and sincerely grab that because some of my greatest heroes like Norman Vincent Peale and others they said laughter is the best medicine you know and and this is what her book is all around it's around taking sort of reverse pinning fear and but feeling it and acknowledging it as as something that we humans have you know all, all of us are maybe we're, every now and then we're going to be afraid well well if we open a business we might lose it all or if we you know enter a marriage maybe it won't work out or if we were to walk across the street maybe we'll get hit by a bus you know what i mean we can go that way but she says no feel the fear and do it anyway know that 
God has a plan for each and every one of us, and know that you are called to do great works in this life. And, and when it's your turn at that, go on up there. Don't just start thinking, what if I strike out? What if everyone laughs at me? Go on up there and, and take a challenge, and, and uh, you've got to take your gifts to the world because, you know, our, our life, I believe, and, and it's been said, is God's gift to us. But what we do with our life is our gift back to God, and, mm. and that's what that book represents to me, particularly authored by a woman who came through uh, breast cancer and a double mastectomy and, uh, and turned it into uh, something that she gave thanks for, and uh, she felt the fear and did it anyway. She's a living example for me to uh, to not be so scared and to go ahead and then take my gifts to the world, and I believe everyone should do that. Sure. Well put. You bet. Yeah. For the place in the world I'd like to visit, you had listed Japan. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, it, it came up for me, number one, um, I, I was uh, given in this life an opportunity to turn around a bankrupt firm. Um, as a female, and it was a male-dominated industry, it was meatpacking, uh, I went into it and I said to everyone, you know, a lot of people said, oh, that little blonde piece of fluff, you know, what the heck is she going to do in there? Uh, you know, we had a slaughterhouse, and <laughs> I was like, what in the heck? So I walked in there with my three little kids, my little ducklings behind me, and I and I said, you know, um, all of you could look at me and judge me by what you see, but what you're not seeing is the fact that I'm the ideal consumer. I'd been cooking for a chronically ill husband, and I had also been at home um, cooking for my kids, myself, and uh, and I knew a little more uh, around the grocery industry than maybe some understood, and, and uh, indeed, food service. So my late husband couldn't have a lot of sodium, and there were no products, uh, you know, bacons and hams and uh, some of the other things he would have enjoyed uh, snacking on that I could make for him because of the sodium count. So I said, if we could do a private label, so I began doing that. One of the first places I went was one of the most unlikely candidates in the world for a woman, a young woman like myself, to break a market, but it was Japan. Hmm. And I have to tell you, the fine gentlemen over there, even though there's a, you know, a lot of talk around the fact that they uh, you know, don't view the, view the girls as uh, kind of as important in that realm as uh, some others might, they actually... They actually came to bat, and uh, when our company was able to sell into Japan and the Asian rim, um, it, it was really a massive boost for us on that turnaround that we had embarked on. And so my little daughter, who's now 15 years old, I have four children, two daughters and two sons, a girl at the top and a girl at the end, two boys in the middle. Okay. But my youngest daughter, who's 15, she said, Mommy, I would really like to go to Japan, and I, I never really... You know, as parents, we say things we don't know. Our kids are really listening the way they are. And they all heard me speak so highly of the Japanese and how they had come on side with me. And since becoming a leading woman entrepreneur of the world, uh, I have a lot of uh, uh, friends in Japan uh, that I've met. And uh, another of the leading women said to my 13-year-old son, Fred, when he accompanied me in uh, Madrid, Spain, and then Paris, France, uh, when I was being honored there, they said, you number one son. And my my kids all go, hey, Mom, let's go to Japan. And I said, you know, that's something. I had to do some business over there, but I'd kind of like to make it a family trip and sure. do Japan as a fun run as opposed to uh, just looking at the marketplace. Wow. Yeah. 
Could you talk a little bit more about your advice to aspiring leaders? You had referenced Socrates and Mount Olympus. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, I love to talk about uh, leadership and, and Socrates because uh, it was said to me, and I, I often, you know, and, and i got to tell you, the first three months of me going into that uh, company that was in soft receivership, and as, as tough and strong as I can talk here today, i got to tell you, I had some sleepless nights, and, and so many people said, what is a young widow like her doing buying this bankrupt meatpacking firm and going in there and thinking she's going to turn it around? And a lot of people said, look, Luann, Fred wouldn't want that for you. Fred was my late husband. He wouldn't want that for you and the kids. He wouldn't want you doing this. And, you know, if you sold it right now, maybe you'd get a little something and you could be safe. But if you spiral it into the ground and and it goes bankrupt, what the heck does that prove? And, and you, you're going to do a disservice and a dishonor to, to a lot. So there was a lot of stuff going on in my heart and my soul. And then one person stepped up, and it was uh, my girlfriend, Christy, and she said, you know what? I've watched you over the years, and she said, I'm really interested to see how you do this, Luann, because, she said, when you do it, and you are going to do it, then you're going to teach a lot of people. And that's where I want to be, just right at the front of the line, and I want you to teach me too. Mm -hmm. So when she said that to me, um, I was opening one of my books and reading in there, one of my leadership books, and that quote was there, where the gentleman asked Socrates how to get to Mount Olympus. And Socrates said, just make sure every step you take is going in that direction, and one day you'll get there. So one night, on a sleepless night, I'll never forget, and my 10-year-old son tapped me on the shoulder because we were all sleeping in the same bed for the first few months, and at maybe 5 in the morning, he said, Mommy, can we pay the mortgage? And and I, I knew we couldn't, but I didn't know we couldn't. Because I thought of that, and I was—I had done that reading that evening, and I rolled over in bed, and I looked at him, and I said, "You know what, Freddie? We can pay the mortgage." And he said, "We can, Mommy." I said, "Yes, we can pay the mortgage." And you go to sleep now, son. And um, I got to tell you, I thought, okay, if Socrates can say to the man who's on his way to Mount Olympus, that means he set a goal, and he says, "Make sure every step he takes going in that direction." I'm not going to speak my truth that is a non-truth and tell my son, well, we don't have any money in the bank, honey, and I don't know that we can pay the mortgage. No. Instead, every step I took was going to Mount Olympus, and I said, Fred, we can pay that mortgage, and I'll be doggone if we didn't. We sure as heck did. Every word I said, every prayer I made, thereafter was a prayer of thanks and gratitude. Every word I said was one of completion for a job well done. I never again doubted myself. I only read positive, only believed positive, and I believe that a power much bigger than me already had the job done. So I was just the, the vessel that I was in line to be used by something much bigger than me to get the job done. And I'll be doggone once I made that decision if we didn't get the job done much quicker than anyone anticipated, including myself. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's an inspirational story. Truly. Wow. What a... It's so great. It's so great, and it's all true, and it's all true, and people need to know. Speaking of, of stories, when I had asked you to think about your metaphor, story, or analogy for leadership, you had said, live the life you love and love the life you mm-hmm. live. Is there anything that you could add to that, um, just in terms of 
you know, some strategies that you've used to achieve that in your life? So many times I've caught myself um, finger-pointing in the past. I truly, truly make it a point to catch myself if I ever think I'm doing that again. Because, you know, when you point a finger at someone else, three more are pointing back at you. Right. Because that's the way we curl our hands. And um, I like to look in the mirror. When I look in the mirror, I like to take responsibility for my actions. I like to be proud of my actions, and I like to say that maybe I don't know everything, but maybe, just maybe, again, as Charlie Tremendous Jones has said, and and also um, some of the great teachers that he's introduced me to, you know, just maybe we could be humble enough to realize that all of this is not intended for us, but we can help others through being living examples and shining stars of what we know to be true and speaking our truth and and sharing it, not hoarding it. And so when I say live the life you love, I want to give thanks to God for this gift of life. I never want to take it for granted. Um, I want my children to give thanks for their lives. I want to be in a place where others who are around me say, there's someone who, who understands that life is a gift. You know, there's a lot of people who would like to dress up and show up, Brian, but they can't, and I can't. So when I wake up in the morning, I say, thank you, God, that I can get out of bed this morning, that I can go take some gifts to the world, that I am a breathing, living example of your love because I want to live the life I love, and that's a life of gratitude. And I want to love the life I live because I'm filled with gratitude because I am alive. I can dress up. I can show up. I don't know that I'm a superhero, per se, but i got to tell you, something bigger than me is. And so I want to be able to be there and get in the line and say, I want to be a vehicle to do good works and to help others be inspired to do good works, because we need each other. There's no one-man band on this planet. We all need each other, and we need to know that we appreciate each other, and that those of us who can Wake up in the morning, dress up and show up. We need to get in line to do the best we can every day. This concludes Episode 1 with National Leader of the Month, Luann Mitchell-Halter. Move on to Episode 2, where Luann Mitchell-Halter and I continue our discussion about leadership. <laughs> 